I can't tell you how much I enjoyed saying touch them all. Way back and gone. Touch them all, Joe Maurer. And now these guys are making it relevant to this year's Twins. Now our two resident hardball nerds will attempt to touch them all on the week's news surrounding the Twins in MLB. Here's Phil Mackey and Derek Wetmore. All right, here we go. Touch them all podcast. It's Derek. It's Phil. And um, I don't like to, I think we've done this a few times where we've maybe gone into the actual game from recently and, and, and done an episode uh, game-centric. We like yeah. to keep the topics bigger picture. And it's theme. not really touching all of them if we do that. It's touching some of them. Yeah. I mean, we like to, I guess we could just do after episodes or, or after game episodes where we, uh, where we do 162 of these. But I think we should also squat on the Twitter handle, touch some of them. Sure. Just because I can see that being a real spinoff, a ripe business opportunity for some entrepreneurial touch them all listener out yeah. there. Uh, I have a feeling that there are some uh, twisted, potentially perverted men who already have touched some of them <laughs> as their Twitter handle. But I digress. Uh, I did pick up something from the Twins' loss to the Red Sox last night would be Monday night. We're recording this on a Tuesday that I think applies to the bigger picture because we're trying to figure out, and we've gone through this theme for much of the season, are the Twins a true contender or are they just a pretend contender, a pretender, if you, if you will, will. <laughs> that should yeah. that should bow out to the Clevelands and, and the Astros and the Red Sox and the Yankees and, and whoever else emerges in the second half. And while I'm not deeming them pretenders based off the loss to Chris Sale and the Red Sox, I did see two glaring differences when you're comparing resumes and you're comparing rosters. The Red Sox are a contender. They've got a legit lineup. They've got Chris Sale. They've got the best closer in the American League in Craig Kimbrell. But the two things that stood out in that game, let me throw these out and then you can react to these and tell me if I'm overreacting or wrong or whatever. So number one, I feel like both teams ran out their most talented starting pitcher. Now, you could argue that Irvin Santana is the Twins' best starting pitcher based on experience and everything else. I think Jose Barrios is the Twins', is the Twins most talented starting pitcher. Okay. So both teams ran out their most talented starting pitchers. And the Twins' starting pitcher blinked in the first inning, giving up multiple base runners, a home run, two runs, and just had that wide-eyed look that is pretty natural for a 22-year-old. I'm not even ripping him. Like he's just no. the, the Twins sent their best out, and he was wide-eyed in the first inning, and he blinked first, which is a bad idea against Chris Sale, who, uh, outside of a weird blip against the Twins when he was in a White Sox uniform, uh, doesn't, doesn't blink very often throughout the course of a game. Mm-mm. So that was number one, that if you blink first against Chris Sale and you're just kind of wide-eyed in a big game, Fenway Park, the biggest game of your career to this point, uh, you know, you just you got a little ways to go in those situations. The second thing was maybe even more glaring. When late in the game, six, seventh innings roll around, when the Twins and the Red Sox are forced to put out fires or or get outs in close games where a base runner or two could sway the result, the Red Sox turn to guys like Craig Kimbrell throwing 99 miles an hour, Joe Kelly, who didn't pitch in the game last night, also throws... 98, 99 miles an hour. Matt Barnes, who came in and struck out the side, throws between 95 and 98. You got Heath Embry, Embry who throws like 95 or 96. They just yeah. they roll out flamethrower after Pretty flamethrower. Good relievers. When the Twins need to put out a fire, and there's two guys on, and it's a one-run game, and Barrios is at 107 pitches, and you got to bring, bring a firefighter out, 
They bring out Mapalile, who walks into the burning building doused in gasoline, ready to make it worse. And and that turns out to be the difference where you it's it's not enough to to go six plus effective, six in the third and leave a guy on base, you're hoping that maybe Maybe someone can pick yeah. you up, and for yeah. the Twins, you're just not guaranteed to have that pick me up yeah. from this bullpen. So, well, and, and and I don't think those things are necessarily fixable in the second half of the season. Okay, on show production meeting, as we have this giant train uh, running through this whole conversation, the big theme is: are the Twins contenders, or pretend contenders, or pretenders, or none of the above? So that thing is that's going to keep running. Are they running. contending pretenders? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They might be, actually. That might be a good way of putting it. Uh, so that's going to run throughout. But then what I kind of want to do is just a bunch of different things. We'll play Forrest Gump ping pong where we've got like maybe three or four <laughs> conversations going on here. We'll see if we can do it. We've never done this before, but um, two most talented starters. No love for Rick Porcello? No. One of the most overrated starting pitchers right. of the last six I just, years. I wanted to needle you a little bit. Uh, yeah, Chris Sale is fantastic. He's a rich man's night. Nick Blackburn who had a great season last year, and he's and that's pretty kind of rich an though. Like, like retire for life at age thirty-five. He's, rich. He is a anyone who thought that he was a perennial Cy Young contender just off last year. I, last year was more fluke than. He wasn't just an ace going forward, especially in that ballpark. I don't think that there are, uh, I don't know if this is the common opinion, but this is my opinion. I think it's non-controversial, but I don't know. Jose Barreos easily has the best stuff on the Twins. If you were a pitcher and you had to pick between what Irvin Santana has, what he brings to the table, and what Barreos has, Mm -hmm. the big advantage that Santana has is his poise, is his... Uh, you know, reference points for success. He knows how to get hitters out. He's he knows how to think a step ahead of hitters. He's probably ahead of the catchers in most cases. Whereas Barreos is probably not thinking quite up to speed as a Jason Castro or Chris Jimenez. Um, but his stuff, like if if Irvin Santana could trade his stuff for Barreos, he would. Right, and I think one more thing to add to that: Irvin Santana has pitched in the big leagues for a decade. He's pitched against all the top starting pitching opponents, all the top lineups, all the bright lights, prime time. He's been in an all-star game. He's pitched in the playoffs. Might go to another one. Sure, he might make a second all-star game. It's easier to slow your heart rate and be calm at the beginning of a big game. And I would call Red Sox in this situation. Yeah. You're fighting for playoff positioning, and you're playing in Fenway Park. you got to prove to us if you're contending pretenders or pretending contenders. Exactly, yes. And we are the authority... <laughs> in those categories. So both those guys, I think, subscribe to the Touch Em All podcast. I'd have to double check. I, I, I just, I think that. Um, the interesting thing that you mentioned about heart rate is, like, it's a biological reaction to a pressure situation. Or an unfamiliar situation. Even. Yeah, what, whatever the case is. I, there are not a lot of unfamiliar situations for Irvin Santana. And I do think that Borreo's going through the WBC and being kind of the man. I, granted, out of the bullpen, not quite the same. But I do think he got some reference points in terms of thriving under pressure and i get a kick out of us stats geeks and i am one of you but that they say like clutch doesn't exist because statistically we can't prove it and like i think that's bs because there are some players who go up in the clutch and are worse i mean if the statistics don't bear it out over his career it's variance there are things that you see a guy like and i'm I'm not able to come up with an easy example off the top of my head, but we'll go with the inverse where David Ortiz walks to the plate in the World Series and is like, all right, well, I'm the man. Let's do something here. Yeah. That 
matters to me. I'm not saying he elevates his game. I'm not saying a guy like uh, Irvin Santana elevates his game in those situations, but he doesn't allow his game to deteriorate, and that's an important qualifier. That's an important difference. Yeah, I think you know that that's where the human element comes in. If I could tell you that, so if you're skeptical about clutch, and I think clutch can be overrated, I think it can be oh, misstated, sure. I think it can be hard to quantify, just like momentum can be hard to quantify or predict, but it exists. The that level of feel good or that that carefree. Uh, you know, team culture or individual feeling that you get, if that leads to an elevated performance, then whether the result is there or not, if if you feel better while doing the thing that you do, then it's... it's, But I would say it's going to take Jose Barrios a few more outings like that where you're in a legendary ballpark against the best pitcher in baseball. And I'm not even saying, I don't know if his heart rate was flying or not. It's possible, possible that he was just bad in the first inning. But if I had to put money on it, I would say, holy cow, okay, I'm a little amped up for this. This is like, i got to prove myself against Chris Sale. Yeah. I'm facing Dustin Pedroia, maybe a future Hall of Famer. I'm facing Xander Bogarts. I'm facing Jackie Bradley Jr., all these these top hitters, these all-star caliber players. And it took him an inning yeah. to settle, to throw strikes, to get ahead in counts, to keep the bases clear. And Chris Sale has kind of long since passed that point in in his uh, in his reference point reference points build up process. Yeah, I'll move on from this in a second. But you mentioned, uh, and the ping pong game continues. You mentioned that uh, if you had to put money on it, you'd say that his heart rate was up. I wonder if uh, modern analytics and tracking will get to the point that there is a betting field, a sphere for things like heart rate variability Wouldn't and that stuff be fun? like that. Yeah. Like, because if I, because if for for all of you, it'll have to be the next CBA because right now they're not <laughs> allowing wearable. T- tracking technology on the players but well for all of that's you that's clutch truthers if we could prove that player a tends to get more anxious during key moments of games or and game that, on the line moments and, and that that anxiety is costly from a performance perspective well, but that's the second thing you'd have to prove right if if your anxiety goes up 40 percent and my anxiety, and I just remain stoic and cold blooded, mm-hmm. and I'm a robot like Albert Pujols in those Sports Center commercials. Yep, where he's a cyborg, or in real life where yes. he's also a cyborg. <laughs> he's he's the Terminator. They should fix the running function on that <laughs> cyborg, though. It's getting kind of sad. Uh, he's just walking down to first base. So, anyways, like not to get too far off the beaten path. Um, yeah, I, I sense that from him, sure. but that wasn't nearly as important. If I'm ranking the relievers in that game, yeah. based on if you could combine both rosters and build a super bullpen to face all the other teams in baseball. It'd be mostly Red Sox. <laughs> I'm for sure going too deep before I think about Brandon Kinsler. I'm going I'm for sure going Joe Kelly and uh, who who the Twins didn't see last night and um Craig Kimbrell. Yeah. And then I'm probably considering Heath Embry and Matt Barnes and maybe another one. Yeah, like where before would Brandon, I'm, before I'm putting Brandon Kinsler? If on the that Twins list. traded Kinsler to the Red Sox for a non-reliever, he might be their seventh inning. Right, guy. where would he pitch? And he that's the be. question. So, I have a question for you: Is uh, what value does Matt Belial still offer the Twins? Like, is 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 it? Is, can it be all leadership? Because there have been he's given you like five months of leadership. He's there given have been you a lot of leadership. Better pitchers sent out, and I get minor league options matter. Don't get me wrong; the Twins are being smart, manipulating their roster, calling up and then optioning out Dylan G before he even pitches in a game. Like, I they're they're taking guys with minor league options. Ryan Presley taking advantage of that flexibility. They should. They're smart. Most teams in baseball do that today. 
But what I don't get is, like, as you try to make this bullpen competitive, and they've moved from 15th in the American League up to 14th while y'all were sleeping on them. Wow. <laughs> Detroit has fallen off and been worse. But why the key spots, then? If Matt Belisle's on the roster, I think that it makes sense to get him in in the fourth inning like he was doing in mop-up duty the other day. But to put him in in a spot where the game will literally be decided... It doesn't make sense to me anymore, and I understand workload plays into it. Tyler Duffy and Taylor Rogers had a big weekend against the Indians. Yeah, they would. And both Brandon Kinsler might not have pitched in the seventh inning. I get that. That's fine. Actually, I take that back. They uh, their third day would have been Sunday, so I'm I'm assuming Tyler Duffy was available yesterday and just wasn't used in that spot. I'm just I, and, and I'm not here to sit in hindsight here. I'll second guess Paul Molitor's bullpen management. I just on a macro level wonder what value Matt Belial brings to the table. It's not like he's dominant against righties or lefties. Yeah. He's got a terrible ERA. I get that it's only been... It, it, I get a kick out of this when they'll say, well, most of the time... I mean, he's been rock solid most of the time. Like Most of his outings are clean, and then he's just had a couple big crooked numbers. That's like saying when the Vikings would say, well, Matt Khalil's only screwing up on a couple plays. Right, but you get 60 dropbacks a game, and if you give up pressure on 10 of them, right. you suck. Or, you know, it, well, they're only getting blown out once every three or four games. Sure. Okay, yeah, but that's... that's that shouldn't that's like, happen. But those are seven games. I believe Matt Belial's given up runs now in seven or eight outings. Okay. Those are seven or eight outings where you lose. Yes, it's over. You lose the game. Yeah. So to answer your question, I think they saw two things when they signed him. Number one, leadership, veteran. They needed. They just need more professional voices in the room, and I'm, I'm all for that. They're trying to build a culture. They're trying to create more leaders, and, and I totally get that. And secondly, he had been a viable reliever for yeah. much of the past ten years. Oh, no years. question. So he, so he was really good. But at what point, as a thirty-seven-year-old, are you just out of gas? Yeah. Now, is is there, let's say the Twins got rid of him. Is there a good chance because this is the nature of being a reliever in baseball that he latch on with, let's say, a National League team that he'd go to the Arizona Diamondbacks and he would have a sub-three ERA for the remainder of the season? That sure. wouldn't shock me at all. But, sure. But it's not working on this team in this league, and. At this point, I'd rather just get a better look at Buzinitz in those situations. You know what? Or almost anybody else. And then on the flip side, real quick, not to Mason Melitakis was DFA'd off the forty man roster. Yeah. Now I trust Derek Falvey and Thad Levine, and especially Derek Falvey's pitching acumen. I'm not going to sit here and try and pretend like I know more. I haven't watched Mason Melitakis pitch on a regular basis. I've read reports that the velocity is down to maybe between eighty eight and ninety, and he's not the flamethrower he was a few years ago. But his numbers are amazing. He's got a he's got a two and a half ERA, striking out a batter per inning. So are they looking at? Obviously, they see something in Melitakis's process that won't lead to future results, which is why they feel comfortable DFAing him. Do they see something in Matt Belial's process that they think, with an educated guess, will lead to better results? And yeah. we're just not being patient enough. I might be I'm missing something. Three months into the season, though, I've seen enough. Yeah, I've I'm, seen enough. I might be missing something, but I don't see anything in his underlying numbers that says breakout candidate. I think is he going to be a ten ERA guy for his for the whole season? I mean, maybe not. But to say, well, it's only been a couple of bad outings. Yeah, but they it's like Kevin Jepsen last year where. Yeah, he's only blown four saves in the first month. Right. That's four wins that would have been losses that he is single-handedly responsible for. That's a nightmare scenario. Sure. And so you can't just say, yeah, but it's just a small handful of games. 
Small handful of games is the difference between making the postseason and not. Right. Remember when Glenn Perkins blew up in the second half a couple years ago? And if and the Twins wound up three games back. Yep, three games back of a wild card spot to end the season. And and Glenn had like a nine ERA and gave yeah. up runs a bunch of times. And, and even Glenn, you know, I remember Glenn came on our radio show the day after the season and spent an hour fielding calls and questions from yeah, people who funny. criticized him, and yeah. it, which is one of the coolest things I've ever yeah. seen. But how is what Matt Belisle's doing this year any different from what Glenn Perkins did in the second half? Now looking back without yeah. full use of his shoulder, you know you're going to wind up even if we think the Twins are pretenders or contending pretenders you're going to wind up scraping to get to 85 88 90 wins best case scenario this is not a 95 win team that's going to take off yeah you're looking to cling to that 85 88 89 win range how many times do you have to get a look at a guy who's given up crooked numbers even if you don't have great reliable options behind him i'd almost rather try younger arms just to or just like to find out chris jimenez <laughs> um, right on the younger arms front, and this is another ping pong ball, but I've been kind of curious. I, the first inning I saw of Randy Rosario, I thought, hmm, they might have something here. Jumping up from double A, he's got that breaking ball that's kind of sharp, and he could throw it for strikes when he needed to. And then his second inning in his first outing, he got lit up. And then his second outing, he got lit up again, gets sent back, which gives you an idea that you know minor league numbers, they're Grain of a, salt. they are useful indicators, but they're not gospel. I mean, Nick Turley had great minor league numbers, and he couldn't get anybody out up here. And I'm not saying that minor league numbers don't matter. Don't don't paint me into that corner, but like they, they do matter, and it's also important to see if their process will translate, and uh, I, I'm, I'm just curious about some of their young arms. Randy Rosario, maybe, in the future. Uh, lefty who throws hard and has a sharp break. Alright, there's something there. Mm-hmm. Mason Milatakis is interesting because I thought he was knocking on the door, gets promoted to AAA Rochester, and then the Twins DFAM. Now, we'll see in about a week. If he clears waivers, color me wrong because the Twins saw something I didn't and the rest of the industry Correct. doesn't see anything there. But if he gets claimed and the Twins sell him for cash like they did Jason Wheeler, I don't see a future really for Jason Wheeler. But I see a future for Mason Milatakis, or I thought that I did. And it was a surprising move to me to DFA him. On, on the other side of the coin, the guys who are up now, who are kind of every outing fighting for their major league lives, Trevor Hildenberger and Alan Buznitz are interesting to me. Hildenberger, the side armor, he had a good inning in his debut Friday night yeah. in Cleveland. He's kind of a, just based on what I can tell early on, uh, fastball changeup kind of guy and relying on that deception. But if you can get guys out, if you can pat Neshek it and patch together some good seasons, you know, relievers are fickle. You never know. So I'm curious to see how he sort of develops and if he stays with them all year. But I'm really curious about Boosnitz. He's throwing I, 97 miles an hour. I He's- did not know that he was a real prospect because when he got thrown in in the uh, Alex Meyer plus Ricky Nolasco for Hector Santiago and Alan Boosnitz, I thought, all right, well, that's a throw in. The Twins are giving up on Meyer. They had to include somebody like that in order for the Angels to take on Nolasco's salary. And even then, the Twins had to pitch in like $4 million bucks or whatever it was. I might have underrated Alan Boosnitz. And, you know, if I did, credit to Rob Antony and his staff for the way they ran that trade deadline. I thought the Eduardo Nunez trade was great. We'll see what happens with Mejia because he's been disappointing for me this yeah. year. But 
if they got a real reliever in Booznitz, which his minor league numbers say they did, hats off to him because that's a great find. And, and, and like I said, who knows? Fast forward this thing two months, maybe he's back at Rochester. But just the early stuff that I've seen, that 97, Andy can command it a little bit with his fastball, and he has secondary stuff to go with it. Not going to walk everybody? That's an interesting reliever He, he to me. also might be just wild enough to strike some fear into opposing Ryan hitters. Ryan Presley. Ryan yeah, Presley just like you're not sure if he's going to uncork one 95-97 at your temple on accident and then yeah. feel terrible. <laughs> like Ryan Presley, I remember specifically him going high and tight on. Did he break Alex team's... Rios's uh, no, wrist? No, that was J.R. Graham broke. Oh, it's a different rule five guy. Okay. Yeah, but Ryan Presley came up and in on a star on the other team. I can't remember who it was. This was a couple I, weeks ago. Yeah, and I remember Presley kind of walking off the mound, tapping his chest like, "My bad." My bad. You know what the Twins should have done is cut up that pitch and send it to the other 29 teams and be like, hey, this Ryan Presley guy, yeah, he's got high spin rate and we like his curveball and he's got big velocity, but careful because he might just mess around and hit you in the jaw. It can be it can be like an Instagram meme. Yeah. It, can just, it can be just a, <laughs> bad. A, a black and white screenshot and then it just says DGAF across for Ryan <laughs> Presley. <laughs> yeah. um, when we come back in just a second here, I have – a question about one of the most prominent Twins players that I don't think people have asked in a while that I want to post to you. Okay. But my friends at Luther Brookdale Toyota have been very helpful. In fact, it's sitting on the corner of 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard here in the Twin Cities, a dealership and service department my family and I have been going to for a number of years, myself since I was 16, so about half my life, and family back to the 1980s. And I, can t- I went in for an oil change over the weekend. I can tell you uh, it is like baseball analogy – the best front office and field staff and player grouping for years and years that finally got its new stadium and facility just in the last five years. So you combine the two, world-class facility with world-class service and people, and that's why my family and I haven't considered any other dealership or service department in the Twin Cities at all, really, over the years. So find out what I've been bragging about for a long time on 1500 ESPN and on the Touch em All podcast Luther Brookdale Toyota, 694 on Brooklyn Boulevard, and LutherBrookdaleToyota.com. Here's my question for you. So Byron Buxton, no shame in going 0 for 3 against Chris Sale and striking out a couple times. Absolutely no shame. But he's back down under the Mendoza line batting average-wise. He's down to 199 again. I think he got as high as close to 220, maybe in that 215 range. If you look at his numbers now since the epiphany in Texas where he started hitting the ball the other way in that chunk of time where his numbers took a a jump forward and a spike they've leveled back off he's just kind of a 225 hitter since that stretch on base percentage under 300 slugging percentage sort of non-existent but he's saving your ass so much in the outfield two catches he made on Saturday against Cleveland you know he is still the best defensive center fielder in the game. But if he wasn't a generationally great defensive center fielder, there's no way you would put up with this type of paltry offensive performance. So with Zach Granite, center field, AAA Rochester, with him hitting between 350 and 360, doesn't really strike out. So I think his game translates a little bit easier in terms of making contact and, and having a better chance at the plate. I think it translates pretty quickly to the major leagues. I doubt if he's going to be the same outfielder as, as Byron Buxton defensively, but at what point do you have to consider if Byron Buxton doesn't do something, either putting him in that fourth outfielder spot, 
Um, I'm not saying I'm doing it right now, but mm. wins are important right now. Is he still helping you win more than his offense is sinking you? There are three players that I would have on notice if I was the Twins, and one of them was Eddie Rosario. I was about to start the— He took that memo and— Yes, he did. —shoved it I was, the sun don't shine. I was about to say—he sure did, and I had to wear it. I took the Eddie Rosario's not that good stance, and that evening— he hit three home runs in a game, and he's been pretty good since. Like, And three phenomenal catches yesterday. I don't know if his defense gets the credit. He's confusing to me because I don't, like, aesthetically, I don't like watching him in the outfield. He makes bad decisions throwing to the bases. He tries to be Superman, lets the trail runner advance, which I, I, that's another spot. I feel like stats haven't really caught up because if you have, like, this baseball intuition, like longtime scouts would have, they see that and they're like, Boy, that's a negative play if you get a runner on first and no outs and a ball hit to the left field gap. Okay, you cut it off. Good for you. But then you throw to third base trying to get the guy out instead of second base. Uh, That matters because that run 90 feet from first to second base with nobody out, Mm -hmm. that's an important difference in terms of run expectancy. Anyway, I got off on a tangent there, but like Rosario annoys me when he does things like that. Did you see against Chris Sale? He batted three times, struck out three times on nine pitches. Yeah, it's. I mean, and, it and was it, almost like malpractice putting him in the lineup against Chris Sale because his approach is looked, annoying. It was too. John Cruck against Randy Johnson in the All Star game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just get me out of the batter's box, right. please. God. Well, they sat Maurer the lefty. They sat Kepler the lefty, and then you got Eddie Rosario up there, the guy with the least idea of what he's doing at the plate. Um, Whatever. I'm not going to nitpick lineup decisions. It's just Eddie Rosario's game to me is annoying. With that being said, cannot deny the talent. Like, his hands are phenomenal. He does get the bat through the zone really well. He's got some good minor league numbers. So, like, I'm not giving up on him as a player, but I was about ready to. I was about ready to say this outfield should be Zach Granite, Byron Buxton, Max Kepler. And then Eddie Rosario's been pretty good. So he's safe. Byron Buxton... Definitely on watch for me. I'll give you the Fangraphs numbers here in a second. But the other guy that I'd have on watch, um, and you may not be surprised that I'm showing my Robbie Grossman bias, I don't know if Kenny Svargas adds more as a DH first baseman than you could get from Grossman DHing, Maurer first basing with Sano, and then an extra guy in there. Zach Granite as an outfielder instead of Robbie Grossman. I I don't know what the trade-off is there. Vargas is a tough one because he's just... He's still a little bit too much of a free swinger. He's just not getting on base enough to keep him in the lineup and, and get that power uh, to your advantage. And he doesn't really have a position. Yeah. But I just the, the the David Ortiz profile strikes me so much, and I'm probably reading too much into it. It feels like there's still something there with Kenny yeah. Vargas. But again, you're not in experimental mode right now. I guess you could be. You're in win mode. You're in the you're in well second place as of the recording of this. But you're in a playoff position yeah. right now. So. Yeah, he's I'm also with like you on that. 26, right? 26 or 27. It's not like he's a young guy who's an undrafted free agent who signed and slowly went up through the minors and then, wow, oh, this guy's got mad pop. And he does. So anyway, not trying to take anything away from any of their three games because we, we tend to do that. It's one of my pet peeves with baseball. In the minor leagues, you focus on what a guy does well, his strengths, and he gets to the big leagues, and you're like, well, he sucks at this, though. 
the response to my Robbie Grossman column when I said that over the past year, Robbie Grossman's been one of the best hitters in baseball, and I bet you didn't know that. People were like, yeah, but he sucks as an outfielder. I said, I know. I wrote that in the column. You know, Tom Brady, I just, I'm just i about to compare Tom Brady to Robbie Grossman, apparently. Be careful. Tom Don't Brady insult Robbie like that. Tom Brady is one of like the that. great passers in the history of the NFL. Yeah, but he can't run. Yeah, exactly. He's not mobile. <laughs> right, yeah. He can't get out of the way yeah. of pressure. That's Don't- fine. <laughs> Don't insult Robbie Grossman by comparing him to Tom Brady. <laughs> Here are the numbers on Byron Buxton because you talked about the Mendoza line batting average, and that's bad, but it'd be a different story if he just couldn't hit. But he drew a lot of walks, and when he did hit the ball, it was Joey, for power. Joey Gallo is also hitting 199. Guess what? And drawing a ton of walks and has like 22 home runs. So it is a little impressive that despite a sort of apparent lack of awareness of the strike zone and a bad batting average that Byron Buxton's getting on base at 273. I mean, he's got an 8.8% walk rate, which is the That's best in his career. Yeah. You take that from a guy a guy with his contact and strike zone issues, you'll absolutely take a 9% walk rate. But 273 as an on-base percentage is bad. That's It's bad. If you want to go another layer deeper, if you like Woba, weighted on base... Byron Buxton's at 253 right now, which is horrible. One of the worst hitters in baseball, and his weighted runs created plus, which is on that 100 scale. 100 is a league average hitter. 110 would be 10% better than the league average. 90 would be 90% of the league average. Byron Buxton's weighted runs created is 50. 50. Yeah. So He's half as productive as the average major league hitter, and if you want to take this one step further, which this is scary because... I still think war is, has a ways to go to uh, to fully capture a player's value because right now we're really bad at measuring defensive value. I think we're getting better. Byron Buxton's war, despite gold glove caliber center field defense, 0.2 so he's, right now. He's, he's, it's he's, gone down he's in the last month. replaceable, essentially. Totally. The, I, the, I think it's time to give a look to Zach Rennan. I don't know how you get him in the lineup. But any one of those three guys would be fine for me right now. Well, what if you – see, this is the thing. You'd have to either say goodbye to Byron Buxton or Kenny Vargas because the dominoes have to go one way or the other. Yeah, but – If Kenny Vargas goes – I'm assuming you can option – He's got minor league You option Kenny Vargas down to AAA Rochester. And Buxton has options too, right? um, He does, yeah. Here's the thing. Here's the yeah but to this Buxton demotion conversation. Free granite. (laughs) Yeah, get the hashtag going. Free Zach Granite. Byron Buxton's presence in the outfield has made the Twins defensively one of the top four or five collections in baseball. Defense is one of the main reasons why the Twins are even in a playoff conversation. Yeah. Now, if Zach Granite can be 80% of the outfielder of Byron Buxton, it makes the decision a little easier because at least you're not sacrificing all of the defense, right? Uh, but I, I believe I'm getting these numbers right. I don't have them in front of me, but I looked them up this morning. Defensive runs saved. So let's go with the defensive runs saved plus minus, which, again, is not to be taken as gospel, sure. but it's about as good as we can do. Good indicator. Yep, yeah. it's one of the two or three better uh, indicators. The Twins as a team are, I believe, third or fourth in baseball in, in defensive runs saved okay. when you include infield and outfield. If you just include outfield and no infield, the Twins are a plus 18, which is second in baseball or second in the American League behind, I think, only the, uh, you know, I think the, I think their outfield might be tops in the American League. I know it's a plus 18. Sure, I'm trying to think, would it be the Rays that are up there? Toronto yeah. probably got a pretty good defense. So outfield. plus 18 outfield, which means 18 runs saved above the average outfield, defense alone. And the Giants are dead last at minus 36. 
Yeah. So the Twins, who were also in that bottom three range last year, are 54 runs better in the outfield alone defensively than the bottom feeders in the league, which is huh. where they resided last year. Huh. That's a huge number. Yeah. And as bad as the pitching staff has been, it would be miles worse if, say, Danny Santana were still your starting center fielder or just pick a league average Miguel or below average right center fielder. fielder. Robbie right. Grossman was your left fielder. Right. Byron Buxton is saving you games and runs by the bundle yeah. in the first half of the season with his glove. So it's a shame that he can't just hit 240 and get on base at a 300 clip. And And what happened last year, he was at least stretching singles into doubles, and his slugging percentage was respectable. That's barely there this season. Yeah. So he's regressed in that regard as well. Now, Buxton is a popular guy in the clubhouse, and I do think that that matters, especially on a contending club. Um, there were some guys that took the Danny Santana DFA hard uh, in the clubhouse, but not the way that people would if Byron Buxton were sent out. Um, uh, like, clubhouse chemistry does matter, and this is a factor into it, and I think also, another thing to consider if you're talking about sending down Byron Buxton is like his confidence, which we've we've talked about for months and months and months. Um, y- you know, it's it's a factor. So I don't know that I demote Buxton, but I don't think he needs to be your starting center fielder every day. I think Zach Granite belongs in the big leagues right now, and however you clear a roster spot, make that work. He can be. I mean, he's a center fielder in the minor leagues. Eddie Rosario could play center field for most teams. Max, Max Kepler. Kepler could play center field for a lot of teams. If you're still running out three center fielders, you're doing okay. I'm. I'm kind of curious where this thing goes and how you get him into the lineup. I'm not saying it's just like a one for one swap for Byron Buxton. Not only the roster spot and the starting spot, but like it would make sense from a roster perspective to me to get a look at Zach Granite right now and maybe start to give him some time. It's time to figure out if he's a player at this level. I think he's sort of played himself into top prospect consideration. Uh, I saw somebody tweeted me and asked what I thought about Keith Law saying that Zach Granite is nothing more than 200 plate appearances of Babbitt magic, like he's just getting supremely lucky. So I looked it up, and at the time, according to Baseball Prospectus, he was – his BABIP in the minor leagues was 377. Now, if you're not a BABIP person, generally the league tends to cluster around 300. So you put the ball in play, and after that, you don't get a lot of control over it. That's what that's, happens. But that's that's such an outdated, antiquated way to look at BABIP. I'm just saying. Now that we can track let exit me, velocity. Let me build and, the layers sorry, of this yeah. house here. The foundation is that most of the league gravitates to like a 300 BABIP. The only things that you can really do to control that, if you're a speedy guy, you're going to hit more of your balls in play are going to turn into hits because you can get some infield singles. And uh, and that matters over the course of 600 plate appearances and however many batted ball events. The other thing that you can do is crush the baseball. Aaron Judge is going to have a higher BABIP. Maybe it won't be historically high, but he's going to have a higher BABIP than... Uh, a Ray Adrianza, like he just he's going to because he's going to smoke baseballs and it'll fall in line drives, fly balls fall in for hits more often than ground balls would. So like the the, the crux of it is that if Zach Granite's a three seventy seven BABIP guy, that's probably a little high. So he's probably getting a little lucky. Yeah, it's up over four hundred as we record. Okay, this. so that's definitely lucky. That's lucky, but how shocking would it be? If it was only 50 points lucky instead of 100 points yeah. lucky. So here's the thing. like He's he's hitting 
and I and I haven't watched enough to know. I'm just going off some numbers here. But he's hitting 365 as we record this for Rochester. And what's his on base? So his his on base is 419. He doesn't strike out, and he he's draws enough walks. He's got a good strike walks. zone. Yep. Good so he zone, he makes yeah. a lot of contact. Let's say you reduce that Babbitt from 401 down to something, and he's he's got wheels, and he hits a lot of line drives and ground balls. Yeah. So he's his his line drive rate is 24, percent which would be among the league leaders yeah. in in any league. And uh, he hits a lot more ground balls than fly balls, so he's keeping the ball, you know, waist high and down when when it comes off the bat most often. Let's say so he's fast and he hits the ball on the ground and hard. Let's say that Babip instead of four hundred one, let's say it's three fifty. Well, he's still a three hundred hitter, right? In okay, the, in the minor leagues. So Keith granted. Law is right. This is Babip magic, but it's not all irrelevant. It's not. Right. If he were hitting 300 with a 400 Babbitt because he strikes out all the time and he doesn't draw walks, I'd say, ooh, red flag. But he makes contact. He's fast. Yeah. At worst, he's probably a longtime fourth outfielder in the big leagues. At best, he could be a guy who hits for a respectable average and um, you know hits first or second in your lineup on yeah. a regular basis. Like I don't have, I don't have a player comp, but that kind of player with an ability to draw walks knows the strike zone. Kind of the Max Kepler thing from a couple years ago in the Southern League when he walked more than he struck out. And I was like, whoa, this guy's going to be a player. Um, that's an impressive feat. Granite has some of that. He's fast. He's, uh, from what I've read and heard from people within the Twins organization, so granted, maybe a, maybe a bit of a biased look, but I don't think these people lie to me. Plus defender in the outfield. So... You've got a player there. That's that's a real player, a real serviceable addition to a team. I think you're right that the floor is fourth outfielder in the major leagues. The ceiling is like he's an everyday player, especially in a corner outfield spot if he can occupy one of those and just be an on-base guy. Like I said, I don't have a player comp like in mind or, or lined up for a Zach Granite, but yeah. I'm curious enough to see if he could add something to the Twins right now because it is win-now mode. It's not... Well, see what you got, and the 2018 Twins are going to be pretty good. I think the Twins owe it to themselves and to the players in the clubhouse to pretend, at least, treat themselves like a competitive ball club. And there's a bunch of moves that I I think you could make now at the end of June and then some more as we get towards the end of July that involve trades. But, I mean, at a minimum, you might be ready to add a starting caliber outfielder without having to give up a prospect in return. So basically, add Zach Granite and steal a bunch of relievers from the Red Sox, and they're golden. Then, then they're no longer pretenders. They're, I guess, they'd be contending pretenders then. Contending pretenders. Pretending pretenders. We'll work on it. 